Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time agents! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Well, we welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Wednesday, November the 8th of 2023. My name is Darren Pritchett. I'm joined by the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. And punching bag. <laughs> That's a guy covering the Fighting Irish on the Rivals Network. <laughs> that is Eric Hansen. You don't look overly bruised. You're still hanging I, in there. I'm, You're Rocky. I'm Rocky. Yo, Adrian. <laughs> Throw in the towel. You got to rock. Well, we are here for the next two hours. Well, Eric's here for the next hour. I get the full two Budweiser's weekday sports beat as we broadcast live on 960 AM WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app. We have a live video feed of the Twitch app, the Darren Eric Twitch feed graphic is still not where it needs to be so again if you're tuning in it says Allison Hayes but I promise that is Eric Hansen sitting right in front of me here in our WSBT studios in South Bend we have plenty of Notre Dame football talk to get to on the program including in our hat trick of opening topics later on who's your starting quarterback for the final three games of the regular season do you think about changing offensive coordinator? We got our Twitch, I should say our Twitter question of the day at the end of the hour. <laughs> Mr. Walker. Let's do a Twitch question. Why too. not? What the heck? 
We've got Mishawaka head football coach Keith Kinder joining the program right about 6.05-6.10 to preview the regional championship game between Mishawaka and Fort Wayne Snyder. Marcus Freeman is not meeting the media this week, but he answered some questions on the Wake Up the Echo show, which was on WSBT Radio last night. I'm going to play that back coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. I mean, it's kind of the same theme we've heard the last couple of weeks. We've got to get better. We've got to challenge the players. But you'll hear from Coach Freeman in the 6 o'clock hour. And we have some sports wagering picks to get to at the end of the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And looking ahead to tomorrow, Eric will be back with me for the first hour of the program. We will not have Thursday night football tomorrow night. Because the Chicago Bears play, and we have to protect the radio call of the Bears radio network, which is on Quality Rock 94.3 FM. And you talk about a strange press conference today. Matt Eberflus, the Bears head coach, came out and said that his quarterback, Justin Fields, you know, the dislocated thumb, that he is doubtful for the game, which means there's still a chance he could play. And they pressed him for more, and then he said, well, he's not playing. Well, then, if he's not playing, why is he doubtful? Well, we want to give him another day. I mean, it was like... Well, he's not hitchhiking. He's <laughs> no, he is not. If he is, he should not be. He should not be playing video games either. All right, well, you just got done with probably a three-hour chat at InsideIndieSports.com, and the natives are not happy, and that's why Eric made reference he felt like a boxer because <laughs> – you know, people aren't blaming you, but they are letting their frustrations out. There's collateral damage. They're not. They're not really attacking me, but they're no, no, no. Very it's, frustrated. I personally, and we had this conversation before the show started. You know, based on whom I've talked to and the responses I get, everyone's frustrated when they lose, especially when they lose the game. It felt like if you play a little better, you win. But, Eric, right now we're in a situation where so many fans have lost faith in the coaching staff. That's where the frustration really hits. And that makes it difficult to deal with a loss like this. And you know what? There were execution issues. There were missed throws. I mean, there's so many things. But, again, when a fan base starts to question the coaching staff, everybody always likes to pick on the, the play caller. Oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. But I, I, I think there is some reason to be – frustrated and pointing fingers, especially after that Clemson game, which kind of leads us into our first question. Okay. So let's let's get started. Are you ready for more? I'm ready for more. <laughs> Are you really ready for more? <laughs> I, look, I I uh, I got we signed up for it. I had a I had a bad dental surprise on Tuesday oh. and that was better than um, this week has been. That has not been the low point of the week. Let's talk about the past St. Louis Cardinals season for a couple of moments. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be even more fun. Even more fun. I spent Tuesday raking leaves and mowing the yard and putting well, come over furniture to my away. House, then. I'm still exhausted. I am so sore from that. I mean, just old age is just killing me right now. Okay. Uh, I put the uh, tarp on the grill. That's what I did outside. Oh, boy. Good job. Okay, we've stalled long enough. Music, please. All right. And away we go. All right. Again, he's Eric Hansen. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports Beat officially underway here on WSBT Radio. 
Opening topic number one. All right. If you're okay with me using the word dysfunctional, I'll press on. I'm why? Okay. Why did the Irish offense look dysfunctional against Clemson? Where would you like to start? I think it. Everything that has been ailing the offense all season came together in one icky afternoon. Great point. And so it all intersected, it all bled into each other, and that's why it looks so dysfunctional. So we can list some different elements of it. Um, we can list the fact that Sam Hartman probably had his worst game as a Notre Dame quarterback in terms of decisions and ball placement and things of that nature. Now, there are reasons for that, but but we'll put that out there. Okay. The wide receivers struggled to get open. Uh, the offensive line had difficulty protecting. The offensive game plan was flawed and got worse. You know, there weren't, weren't adjustments. And then... You know, the the defense played poorly enough in the first half to make the margin for error with the offense really stand out, the, the little margin for error for the offense. They got it together in the second half. But you know what? They, against a makeshift offensive line from Clemson, should have dominated both in the run and with pressure, especially against a quarterback that struggled like Kate Klubnick really talented kid that has been struggling all season. Okay, was that good? Yeah, I'm just okay. I'm just taking a deep breath. Okay. You ran the ball extremely well in the first half. Correct. And when you're running the ball well, defenses are normally going to take extra measures to try to slow you down from running the football. I think this is where dysfunctional comes into the the question that I asked you is the fact, Eric, when you're running it that well in the first half, number one, it seems inconceivable that in 36 dropbacks, Notre Dame ran two play-action passes. Eric, when you're running the football well, that opens the door. And let me also add in this fact, and this is the part I've really talked a lot about on the show this week. You were in Coach Freeman's Monday press conference before the Clemson game, right. and he was asked about taking shots down the field. And he said, we have to take shots. And Eric, he said, even if we don't connect on them, we have to take shots. So was that just Marcus saying something to make the fans happy? Was that a message that he wanted his offensive coordinator to tackle and he didn't do it? I mean, it just seems dysfunctional. The head coach says, I want this, and then it doesn't happen in the game. I have a feeling it wasn't lost in translation. It just, it's like the offensive coordinator froze at the stadium. Well, I don't know if you saw the quote after the game where he said the pick six spooked them. 
Oh. Eric, Eric, he's a 24-year-old quarterback. Stop. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying. mad at you. <laughs> Please. Eric, this is your fault. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. No, but, but I mean, he said something that I don't think he meant to say out loud, uh, and Ugh. that influenced it. So, so ultimately, kind of rephrase the question now that I went down that road. So. Why did they not continue to run the ball more? Why did they not take shots? Is that that's what I was going to get to the running game in the second half, but okay. if you want to couple it all together, go for it. Parlay it. Well, I I do think what what he said about him, you know, kind of going against what he said. Hey, you need to stay aggressive. He and the rest of the coaching staff decided to go away from that based on that pick six. Does that make sense? Not maybe in the immediate moment, yes. Not for the long haul of the game, no. Especially when you're down 24 to 6 at one point, 24 to 9, I believe, at halftime. Um, but, I mean, there were other things that, that went wrong there. And certainly, you know, having 18 carries for Audric Estime with more than four yards a carry in the first half and only having three carries in the second half, only having two play-action passes. There are a lot of things that don't make sense here. They all bleed together, Darren. Why was the why was the protection so bad? Because Clemson knew what they had to do mm-hmm. to get back in the game at, at, at a point. But there was also a point where Notre Dame's down 24-16 with enough time to come back and mix up your offense and not have to throw on every down. And it was just really difficult to watch. It was like, you know. They were beating themselves. They absolutely were beating themselves. Again, Clemson's defense has been good all year against everybody. You you mentioned the stats from the Florida State game. Florida State's one of the better offenses in the country. Uh, certainly has better wide receivers. You could easily argue that they have a better quarterback. Um, and they struggled against the Clemson defense. But did Notre Dame's offense play up to its potential? I think it's easier for me, Darren, to <laughs> to maybe go bigger picture than focus on the small pieces of this. And I I think that what people in the chat got today, I mean, everybody's undercurrent is would would this be solved by having an experienced elite offensive coordinator leading this team's offense? I mean, would it have – let me throw this question out to you, Darren, and I, I did this to Tyler James on our Football Never Sleep show. Who who do you think is the best offensive coordinator in college football right now or just a top offensive coordinator? Oh, gosh. He, he said Grubbs of Washington, which is a guy that turned down an Al, the Alabama job before they offered it to Tommy Reese. You know – I I don't know that he would have been available for Notre Dame either, but but let's say he was the offensive coordinator for for Notre Dame this year. 
what do you think Notre Dame's record would be? Now, I'm not putting this all on Jared Parker, but I'm just saying, what do you think their record would be with, do they lose to Ohio State with Grubbs as the offensive coordinator? They beat Ohio State. Do they lose to Louisville? I think that game, I'm not sure anything saves that one. Okay. Do they lose to Clemson? I lean toward no. So, I think that's... 9-1. I mean, as we kind of look at things, that's the question that Marcus Freeman has to ask is, is this going to get better in year two? Is, Is Jared Parker in year two going to get better where you won't be able to ask that question and have a different win total? Or does there need to be a change? And that's a serious question that he has to answer and that he has to evaluate. And what's the budget? And and the budget should be unlimited. I mean... It should be. Okay, well, I mean, again, we're kind of relitigating the past. Yeah, I'm but, sorry. But... But okay, let's let's do that for a second. And I, because I got to ask this in the in the chat today, what really happened with Andy Ludwig of Utah and going to the hockey game, all this, and and really what it comes down to is Notre Dame ultimately was willing to pay the buyout, but did Andy Ludwig stay at Utah because he saw the whole malarkey that preceded? Yes, we'll pay the buyout as a red flag. Or would he have stayed at Utah anyways? And then was the right move to pivot to Jared Parker at that point? I don't think, you know, that Notre Dame was jumping up and down because they saved a million dollars or whatever. I mean, you lose that in bowl revenue or you lose that in donations or in, you know, people buying swag, Notre Dame swag and stuff. I mean, you can make up that money in a heartbeat by having the right offensive coordinator. I I don't think that Notre Dame said we're only going to pay this much and Jared Parker's the only one that fits under the salary cap. Because they interviewed Colin Klein. Colin Klein taking the job, they would have paid him more than Jared Parker because he had college coordinating experience. He had a track record. But I do think that, and I'm not saying it couldn't have worked or won't work, but it was risky with a defensive-minded head coach and an offensive coordinator that really didn't have the keys to the car without the driver's ed parking brake on the other side. (laughs) Okay. And if you have to get a defensive coordinator, I don't know if that affects the budget at all, but that's something that well, could I happen. Mean, I mean, maybe he becomes associate head coach and okay. everything's fine, but who knows? He's going to get opportunities. Okay, well, well, I don't know that the equation is the same on the defensive side of the ball, and here's several reasons. Let's say Al Golden leaves and you're considering Mike Mickens. Mike Mickens has been at Notre Dame now four seasons and he's been through some different you know he's he was there before he had Clark Lee he had Marcus Freeman he had Al Golden he's adjusted to all those guys he knows Al Golden's system really well 
If continuity is important, he's somebody that can bring the base of that with his own twist to it, his own making it make it his own. So there are some positives, and you also do have Marcus Freeman and his defensive expertise on that side of the ball. The offensive side was completely different. It's a completely different equation. Plus, you also have a track record of Clark Lee kind of doing something similar and being super successful, you know, taking Mike Elko's system, making it his own, and and then building upon that. So, but that's probably a question for another day. Okay. Second opening topic. Eric and Darren with you on WSBT Radio. Is the Notre Dame coaches and players, some of them, responsible for what I would call breaking Sam Hartman? Is that a fair statement? I think that the circumstances of the season have pushed him backwards. And I think that there are people that would like to say, well, maybe he was overrated coming in or, you know, oh, I've this heard falls that. on his sh- shoulders. Let me ask you something. Yes, sir. Do you feel like there's ever been a lack of dedication, a lack of effort, a lack of preparation on Sam Hartman's part, that he's off doing NIL things too much and that he's unfocused and he's not giving everything he can to being the best version of himself. He's got a lot on the line himself. From the outside looking in, not following Sam around, I would imagine he is all in and giving everything he has to make this work. And the other thing about Sam Hartman was when Tommy Reese bailed, he could have left at the end of spring and gone somewhere else, including Alabama, Mm -hmm. and he did not. He stayed with Notre Dame and stayed loyal. And uh, sorry. That's okay. I, I have had phone issues today. So now that I have a battery, now I have to silence it. <laughs> His sources were chiming in with information. Let me steal that phone. Let's see what you got there. But, yes, the circumstances have pushed him backwards. He looked like a quarterback that lacked confidence and yep. and wasn't executing. And, 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 and then how did he respond instead of, pointing the finger at somebody else. He said, put it on me. I mean, Notre Dame will be better off having him having passed through here. I understand why it opens up all these questions about, well, should they go after another transfer portal guy if this guy couldn't do it? When are they ever going to help? You have a homegrown quarterback or whatever. Again, I, I think it starts with the whole offensive coordinator hire. Yeah. Strategy. I think it starts there. Yeah. Now, yes, you had inexperienced wide receivers. Maybe Notre Dame should have, beyond Caleb Smith, the elder, the Caleb Smith that was from Virginia Tech that ended up retiring at you know uh, after being here a few months. You know, maybe having more portal experienced wide receivers and not relying on so many young guys. Um, but the interior of the offensive line did not have a good day against Clemson. There was a lot of pressure coming up the middle, and we all know that's 
enemy number one for any quarterback, no matter how good or bad you are. Absolutely. Now, why was why was that same offensive line <laughs> pretty know. good against Ohio State and that front and not good against Clemson's front? It is a wonderful question. And, and that's where all these things kind of interconnect with one another. And really, it, it started to come unreeled, unspooled with not so much the Ohio State game, but when you got into the Duke-Louisville stretch and teams kind of got a book on Jared Parker and there wasn't adjustment and adjustment back. There wasn't a counter punch to that. Yeah, they were able to do it. You asked me in the pregame uh, for Clemson, Pittsburgh solved it. And Tyler and I both said, no, it was a yep. good first step. It was a good day against Pittsburgh. But now that step to something higher, and it wasn't. I really question, without being in practice, I'm just going by game results is this team offensively has it been tutored enough how to handle game situations and an example and I know this is getting down to nitty gritty that you don't want to do your kind of big picture right now but let me just mention this that's okay Eric 2.30 to go you're down 8 you're deep in your own territory why are they huddling I've seen some theories about that about like well Clemson's known for science stealing I would say there's no I, I would risk I would risk the science stealing I would not have huddled at that point and uh, that's the head coach telling guys we got to go offensive coordinators don't make that decision right correct I asked a college coach he well said the same I mean thing. ultimately Marcus can uh delegate that or he can overrule or take it over ultimately that's his decision and he has opinions about tempo he has definite opinions about tempo and what that should look like and so forth so yes I would say uh, that is ultimately Marcus Freeman's responsibility but but let's go back to the um, sure. interior offensive line because you want to get a little bit smaller picture as we look forward and as we try to look at what went wrong Saturday and how to fix this moving forward. You know what was remarkable about the interior offensive line? You know who played the best? The third string center? The third string center. <laughs> By far, and when Clemson knew basically what Notre Dame was going to be doing. Ashton Craig was the highest graded offensive lineman in that game for Notre Dame. And he played 24 snaps. That's a large enough sample size to say, wow, okay, what what happened there? Why was that the case? I mean, before the injury to Carell, things were not going well. Things were not going well. He was getting pushed Oof. back. Now, again, those Almost. interior Clemson defensive linemen are very good players, but – Notre Dame didn't have an answer for it. Why did they have an answer against Ohio State's really good interior defensive players? To, to pl at least play to a standoff with them. 
And and then when you look at the roster, I mean, people say, well, is it is it talent? I don't know that the most talented players played this year, but there is enough talent. It's not a talent question. So for all the people that are saying Brian Kelly left an empty cupboard, that's hogwash. Correct. That is I agree. hogwash. I agree. And and there was certainly the option if you felt like, okay, we need some interior offensive line help, you could have gone to the portal and gotten somebody that was pretty experienced and pretty good. But they wanted to give these guys an opportunity. And, I mean – Let's let's be honest. Of the three guys that are starting right now, Billy Shrouth is more talented than all three of them. Hmm. Okay, now Billy Shrouth also missed a big chunk of his early time at Notre Dame because he was recovering from surgery. So, you know, he had a chance to compete. He didn't win the job. It surprised me. You remember that? I'm I know one of the big Billy Shrouth honks, but um, but. So there's Emil Wagner, as good as he is at tackle, probably could have handled offensive guard pretty well. Now again, you you pick the guys that you think are gonna you're gonna invest in, and it's hard. You don't. It's not like a wide receiver where you can just pull somebody out, put somebody new in. You want to keep that continuity, the chemistry. You've invested in people, and really, if you're gonna make those changes, you would do that during the first bye week. Ideally, the first bye week would be a little bit earlier in the season, maybe six games in instead of eight, but that's when you would do that. As you look, Darren, though, I think the thing about it is you can look at all these situations and say, I see a solution. I see a possible solution. What I think fans have angst about is whether those decisions will be made and what those decisions maybe need to look like. Yeah. You can't – I mean, I think that other than Dylan McCullough, there is – and maybe Gino Gadulli, there is sentiment to, you know, people questioning at least how good the – position coaches are and again sometimes as a position coach you don't have as much control over your situation as the statistics show a great example of this was Harry Heastance last year at Tennessee they were an abysmal offense the offensive line was a mess and when Harry announced he was leaving the Tennessee fan base was basically Bye. Don't let the door hit you in the butt. Uh, they were at at best indifference, at most good. See ya. Um, and they let one of the <laughs> one of the best college offensive line coaches walk out the door. Oops. So again, sometimes the coordinator or or the personnel have a lot more to do with what's going on with a position group. I I'd say that's why. You know, people, for example, asked about Chancey. One question in particular I took about Chancey Stuckey today. And they said, other than recruiting, well, I do think part of the solution to that position group is to continue to get really good players. And in his defense as far as – 
and, and Brady Quinn thinks he's an excellent position coach, played with him in the NFL, and thinks he'll do a great job. But here, here's – let me make a comparison, though. Okay, in 12 years, three freshman wide receivers got 10 or more catches as freshmen. This year alone, two have – and Jordan Faison's going to get there. So you will have three in one season. So you're asking a lot more from freshman receivers than have been asked for for a long time on Notre Dame. Now, And that is a position where there is truly a learning curve. Right. Not right. like a running back. Right. you got a lot to learn. Especially with what Notre Dame asks of his receivers. Yes, you can say, Jordan Faison, run down the field as fast as you can. You can only do that so many times. Um, they are required to block. They're required to do other things. And they're required to interpret the coverage that they're facing so that they know whether to break off a route early or run it a little deeper. And that syncs up with what the quarterback's thinking. So all these things come into play. So if you ask me, I would say stick with Chancey Stuckey because I do think that he is a good position coach, even if it might not show. And I also think he's helping with the recruiting and the talent part where there had been some drop-off. And so, yes, I, I think Chancey Stuckey is part of the answer. And believe me, he's going to get opportunities because of his recruiting prowess to go other places. Okay. Tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. And I'm joined in studio by Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, covering Notre Dame athletics for the Rivals Network. 16 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. It takes a while to answer some of these questions that we have right now. In regards to Notre Dame football, so we did not get to our third opening topic in the first segment, so let's do it right now. Eric, I wanted to ask you this. Notre Dame is 7-3. and three. They're coming off what I call a frustrating loss in so many ways to Clemson, 31-23. to 23. Has the last month and or just the Clemson game, has it altered the way you feel about how good Notre Dame could be next year? No, with a huge but. It has changed to me how important the offseason is. And you're going to have to check a lot of boxes in the offseason for those 2024 possibilities to take off. The schedule is favorable from the standpoint you have Texas A&M at the front end of it, and then you have manageable games oh, yeah. pretty much until you get to November. Louisville might be difficult. That's probably the most difficult game on paper between Texas A&M and when you get to Florida State and USC in November, Florida State being the first game in November. Um, so I, I definitely think that there's the potential with the personnel, again, the recruits that are coming in, if you can get key portal pieces, I think 2024 could be very encouraging and people will be in a better mood. Um, but 
you have to check a lot of boxes and make a lot of great decisions this offseason in, in an offseason where you will have a new athletic director and a new president. I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to ask the question in a little different fashion. If I were to tell you the status quo would be reality with the coaching staff, would that alter your feelings about what 2024 could be? So you're saying every assistant coach returns yep. whether they have offered a billion dollars yes. from somebody else or not. A billion dollars. Yep. I would say I I would be discouraged about being optimistic that 2024 would be better. Okay. I think any time I think having some coaching churn is not tons of it every year, but having some coaching churn is always healthy, bringing in some new voices, bringing in new perspectives, because other people, that also means other people are doing a great job and moving on to better jobs uh, elsewhere. Um, not lateral moves, but better jobs. And so, yeah, I mean, you think about, I'd say the last time that I saw something this bleak turn into something really wonderful was the end of 2011. I thought there is no way <laughs> that 2012 and 2012 was an awful off season. Everything possible went wrong, especially with defensive backs. They had a five-star cornerback decommit at the last minute. They had T Shepard come on campus and be ruled ineligible by the NCAA clearinghouse. You had all these injuries at cornerback, and then you had to tell Kavari Russell three weeks before <laughs> the season opener, guess what? You're playing cornerback, a position that you used to uh, fudge your your drill so you wouldn't have to play it in high school. And, and you're going to start and – and Notre Dame ended up going to the national championship. But there were there was some coaching turnover that was very beneficial in that season. They lost a bad offensive coordinator who got a head coaching job, and you brought <laughs> um, Chuck Martin over from the defensive side of the ball. And while Chuck Martin wasn't an offensive genius, he knew what Brian Kelly wanted on offense, and he could follow orders, let Brian – Call the plays, but he could coach. And he had head coaching experience. He had experience on both sides of the ball. It was a nice bridge hire at offensive coordinator. You brought in Harry Heastand, which was another huge <sighs> upgrade. Whew. So there were um, – you had um, a new, I think, uh, new running backs coach, um, too, because the guy that uh, – Oh, gosh, I can't remember his name. He went to Ohio State, um, was in the original hiring. And and so you ended up with upgrades at a lot of different positions um, for, for Notre Dame in, in the coaching staff. You also had Brian kind of taking a look at the program and checking a lot of the same boxes that Marcus Freeman, now experienced head coach, but – he had a lot of the same crossroad things. I, I remember after the 2011 bowl game, 
and how snippy Brian Kelly was oh, in the yeah. press conference. I mean, he, I remember him kind of yelling at Kurt Rollo, who was one of my uh, <laughs> colleagues, and everybody else, and and it was just, and there was no way that Tommy Reese could be the starting quarterback in 2012. There, that was going to be the end of Brian Kelly. And he went in a different direction, and yet he was able to incorporate Tommy Reese as a change-up quarterback um, to Everett Golson. So, I mean, yes, I have seen transformative off-seasons, and I need to go back and look at all the things that happened during that off-season that, that turned things around. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the one thing, Darren, is there is talent. You know, a lot of times with these, you know, when people say Tyron Willingham or Charlie Weiss or uh, Bob Davey and so forth, you know, there was a drop-off in recruiting on one side of the ball or both, um, and there was just no hope. There wasn't this infusion of talent. Mm -hmm. There is talent coming in. Yep. And so – when you have the talent, there's the hope that you can direct the talent in the right way. So, but I mean, there's a big checklist, Darren. Oh, the massive. the team has got to learn how to be a better road team. I mean, that's a huge problem right now. Is their identity on the road and how they play on the road? This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 557, he's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. Our Twitter X question of the day from Tuesday. Your best guess to this. Notre Dame this offseason will have to replace, and I put in parentheses for whatever reason, Dismissal. And I think that's a good. I think that's a good inclusion. Yeah. Dismissal or leaving on their own, Whatever. or abducted by aliens. Exactly, any of those things, or hired to be an analyst at InsideIndieSports.com. That's right. A jump up in pay and in importance. Okay, so the four choices for Notre Dame this offseason will have to replace: number one, offensive coordinator. Number two, defensive coordinator. Number three, both. Number four, neither. So how would you vote? Do you have an idea of where you think I'm going with this? You might be. You, you don't say, if, just say yes or no, whether you think you okay. know what I'm going to say. Maybe. I'm, I'm saying. I'm pointing to it. I am saying both. That's what I was pointing to. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's what I would have voted. Let's see if you're in the majority. 1% voted for just defensive coordinator. Wow. Yeah. Third in the voting at 5%, neither. Okay. Second of the voting, both, like you and I, at 30.7% and 63.4% believe the only thing Marcus Freeman will be replacing is offensive coordinator. And I don't think people realize how busy Al Golden's agent is going to be when the season is over. Wow, that surprises me. 
Me too. The, the, more, more people didn't say both. Well, because we in the media that cover Notre Dame, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Right. Okay. And maybe Al again becomes associate head coach, gets a raise, he's happy. Or maybe becomes a defensive quarter in the NFL, maybe becomes a head coach in college. He's going to have a lot of opportunities. Okay, now to today's question. This is one I could ask every day for the next 30 days. Okay. Who do you believe will be the Notre Dame starting quarterback for game one of 2024 at Texas A&M? Okay. Here are your choices. All right. Steve Angeli. Right. Kenny Minchie. Mm -hmm. CJ Carr. Or currently not on the roster. Currently not on the roster. Okay. That is your vote. We will have the results for you tomorrow. I'll tell you this. As of right now, Precinct's reporting, the least amount of votes is 17% for one of the four. And winning is 31.8. So we have a split ticket right now. All right. So we have 31.8, 30.7, 20.5, and 17%. You'll have to have Steve Kornacki put that on the big board. That's exactly right. You can vote for yourself. On my Twitter X account, at 960Sportsbeat. That's at 960Sportsbeat. And we have had a ton of people vote on this since I posted it this afternoon. So, again, check it out. Twitter X. And just go to at 960Sportsbeat. Which takes us to, by golly, when we go to InsideIndieSports.com, which is Eric's website, what are we going to find? You will find today's chat transcript, which I will say there was very little manifestoing, but there was some venting, venting today. And whining? I, there was some whining, and I, and I called it out. <laughs> and then then there was a nice exchange. There was a kumbia moment. There was. Okay. And Tyler James has a film analysis, so if you really want to get into the weeds about what went wrong Saturday. This is the story to read. Um, and then I would find something happy to do. Um, <laughs> we'll also have coverage of Notre Dame men's basketball <laughs> signing day today. They signed a top 30 class, probably a top 25 class today. Really, Marcus or Micah Shrewsbury was very excited about yeah. it. People wonder why wasn't there a women's basketball signing day coverage today Kate Koval the five-star center is going to sign her letter of intent early next week she's going to have her ceremony next week and then there still may be an additional prospect that hasn't made up her mind yet that has Notre Dame in her final three okay well the coaching staff is shifting back from French to English so that takes a little time as well they are all right they are playing in New Jersey this weekend read all about it inside ndsports.com Eric will be back with me tomorrow for another hour of torture I mean another hour of conversation (laughs) (laughs) on the Fighting Irish we're on a bye this week thank you sir greatly appreciate it we will talk to you tomorrow adios adios All right. (laughs) we'll take a time out we will speak with Mishawaka head football coach Keith Kinder in a couple of moments here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 